Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Same As It Ever Was, where we literally don't know what we're going to talk about. What are you doing? What's up there, brother? Well, hello. Hello, everyone in Internet Radio Land. Internet Radio Land. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. We are, uh, we are, we are, we are convening on uh, high energy electronic re- Internet Radio airwaves. Charged by the trons, <laughs> the electrons flowing through the air. <laughs> right, they're, they're 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 permeating your body as we speak. Here's the here's a here's a good question. Okay, what year was Buck Rogers supposed to happen? Like the show Buck. Oh, Rogers. I know, I know what you're talking. I I could I just I would have to guess blindly. Uh, what was the two thousand ten? What's the robot's name? Oh, I don't know. I mean, what? I didn't. No, dude, I didn't. I didn't watch Buck Rogers. You didn't? No, 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 what? no. I didn't. I was too busy watching Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. <laughs> wow. I don't. How old were you when you were watching this? Was this black and white? No, like eighty-one, eighty-two. So what? Seven. Seven. Is this black or black and white? No. Oh. No, no. Was this this so? This was this was after. These weren't reruns. This was actually like the show. While as it was happening, Twiggy. <laughs> who who came up with the idea that uh, that robots were supposed to sound that way? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, at, at, at this point, we you can't you supposedly you're. Or at least uh, pretty soon here, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between them and just people. Right. I mean, we do these, these like these cyborg things that you can you can buy now for like thirty thousand dollars. Erin Gray, man, she was in there. You know who Erin Gray is? No. What? Oh. Oh my God, she was also in a in Silver Spoons. Erin Gray, Silver Spoons with an A. Aaron Gray with an A. Mm, no, no, you got me. I'm lost, man. I'm lost. Wow, wow. No, I mean, like I say, now, you, now, now, you just pay for a thirty thousand dollar receptionist. You know what I'm saying? You put her at the front desk. Looks like a person. Talks like a person. And you don't even have to pay social security tax. <laughs> you don't have to pay for. You don't even have to pay disability insurance or anything for it. You just have to have, I don't know, a maintenance program or something. There's a warranty on it. But, I mean, that's... I I remember Gil Gerard was just so cool. Yeah. That's Buck Rogers, by the way. No. No. I, I mean, that time, at that time, I think probably... Uh, maybe Battlestar Galactica. Yes, yes, with the Cylons. <laughs> oh yeah, they were evil looking. You know, they were evil, but they were totally. You know, Battlestar Galactica was totally. They they were uh, they were cashing in on the whole Star Wars thing. Of course, of course they were. I mean, but dude, and it, it, Dirk Benedict. Dirk Benedict, yeah. Oh, you talk about the guy who was the the guy from Battlestar Galactica? No. Oh my god! Really? I thought you were going to say Dirk Diggler. A <laughs> 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 oh, motherfucking superstar. <laughs> Dude. Okay, are, we're talking about the old Battlestar Galactica with Lorne Green, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it in probably, I don't know, the original one I haven't watched in 30 years. You know? Yeah. Dude, you, I, Dirk Benedict? No. No. Dirk Bendick. No, Benedict. He was literally, <laughs> okay, Face Man. 
18? That's like your name being Richard Head. Benedict. <laughs> Not has Benedict. Have been Dick. Dude, face. He was face. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Wasn't Dirk he Benedict. the guy? He yeah, was like the main was, character guy from. He was one of the guys. What was his name as his fucking character now? I'm. I'm all jacked Wasn't up that his name, though, from Battlestar Galactica? No, the... that's that's his real name. Oh, really? I thought that was yeah. his character's name. Uh, yeah, he wait. currently resides in the Where Are They Now file. Okay, wait. Where's a, one, one of them? So, oh, fuck. He decided Wasn't to take Wasn't one of them named Apollo the or something like that? Oh, God. One of, one of them was named Apollo. Yeah. I don't remember who. I don't know which one it was. Like I said, this was a very maybe very, Dirk Benedict. Wasn't I've, in just, Apollo I've destroyed because... many a brain cell since then. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then let's see, it was uh, Lauren Green, and they had that weird-looking robot dog. Oh, you know, which which totally reminds me of the of canine. What's that from? Robotic dog canine from what show? Sci- sort of sci-fi. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. I wasn't dude. I wasn't really a big Doctor Who guy. Oh dude, I got because so it came into Doctor on Who when I was late younger. Night on PBS. Yes. Yeah, man. That dude, when I was like I was when I was like MTV ten years then. old. Dude, when I you were watching what? MTV then. Oh I did I didn't have MTV back yeah. then. Dude, I lived out in the country. Like the cable line didn't go far enough down the road for us to have cable TV. So we just had network TV and on PBS, man, you know, Saturday nights, I would freaking, I'd bug out and watch Doctor Who. And, and it was, uh, it was Tom Baker, like the doctor, the one who was like the doctor forever. He was my favorite, man. I, it was so, it was, it was so cheesy. It was awesome. All the characters, freaking the master and oh my goodness, man. He had all, the, and he always had his like female sidekick. You know, he had this one called Lena, and she was like a, she was like a, um, like prehistoric cave girl. What? That he, oh yeah, that he had like picked up somewhere along he the line. Enslaved? No, no, she like was his sidekick. You know, but she of course had like she knew nothing about technology. Yeah, of just course. like okay, so we're talking about Tonto. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Like, she always walk around. She always had, like, her little dagger, like, her little, you know, her stone knife that she would always have. She was pretty hot, you know. Uh, English, she, English, though, right? Right. Oh, of course. But, they, but, see, the doctor had this little robotic dog that would, like, roll around, and it was called Canine. And he, doctor, doctor, you know. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, dude, it was just awesome. So many great characters. Dude. I'm so fucking mad that I don't remember this name. You know what it is? The Battlestar Galactica. Battle, now you sound like Joe. Now you sound like Joe Biden. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Dirk Benedict's <laughs> name was Starbuck. Oh, that's right. How do you forget that? That's right. Apollo was the other guy. Oh my god! I cannot believe I Starbuck. didn't remember that. Starbuck. Yep, that's right. Fuck. Yeah, man. Starbuck. Yep. I mean, dude, it was it was a cool show. It, it but, was for two seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my goodness. Because you know that was the future, right? Oh, I know. That's the thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I will say, I will say, we were living out in California back in like two or Hawaii back in like 2010. Um. Oh no, it wasn't then. It was before then. While we were in Hawaii. Uh, you know, it was like Sci-Fi Channel or whatever came out with the new Doctor Who, and of course it was like, what? You Everyone know, was like, like, screw this. Well, that was a crazy thing because it was like you didn't know what to think. But then when it came on and you saw it, I was like, this is pretty freaking badass, dude. You know, like came. It was the same thing. Like they, you know, the the Doctor had like his own little personality traits and his own little, you know form of uh, you know of humor and uh you know they had all these like this this whole you know litany of uh of of characters and stuff the ood and all this i mean and of course the thing that was really cool was that 
you know, they came, you know, they, they, they brought back a ton of the old characters from decades before. And so they were, even though they had been like from way, way, way back, they were still kind. Like, dude, the Daleks. I mean, who doesn't think that the Daleks were freaking awesome? You know, exterminate, exterminate. I mean, those things would freaking roll around with their little freaking suction cup thing sticking off the front of them. Man, they were diabolical. They had like no, they had no conscience. That's something all. that Walker did. Diabolical. Diabolical. I'm telling you, that's what it was freaking awesome. <laughs> totally awesome. Doctor, doctor, you will comply. Exterminate, exterminate. Dude, they were freaking incredible. Awesome. It's like uh, uh, Land of the Lost and the Slee Stacks. Oh, uh, the Slee Stacks. <laughs> Those people dressed up in those weird ass freaking. You know who one of those people were? Hmm. Uh, Bill Lambeer. He was because he was so tall. Because you know he played basketball. Oh, really? He he was a teenager and he was one of the slee stacks. No way. Yep. Oh my god! Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. Now, see, that's the thing is that like they turn. You know, we we you and I often talk about like these remakes. Mm-hmm. You know, Hollywood rehashes all of this shit. And I'm going to tell you, man, like this, I, when, when I saw that Land of the Lost was going to be a movie, in my mind, I was like, dude, that could be really freaking cool. But instead, they turned it into this like cheesy, you know, like a like spoof no, or it was something. A comedy. It was a comedy. That's what I'm saying. But it wasn't like, but the show wasn't a comedy. Right, the the show was serious. the show was serious, and, you know. Fights. I mean, it was a kids show, but I mean, still, it was serious. And I was thinking of my like, I remember thinking, man, Land of the Lost. Think about how freaking cool they could have made that with all of, like the computer generated stuff and whatever. Like they could have made the Sleesacks like freaking scary as hell. I mean, they could have made that really neat. And instead, Hollywood's like, oh well, you know, kind of like they did with freaking. Uh, Starsky and Hutch or the Dukes of Hazard, or whatever. Like you probably could have taken that and turned it into a movie and actually made it pretty freaking cool. And you could what, have had, you know. it had the, the, the theme song had banjos in it and it was like on a yes. routine expedition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went that Oh part. my god, and I forgot about that. Land of the lost. Yep. Lost. Yep. No. Rawhide. No, yeah. <laughs> Rawhide. <laughs> like. <laughs> I think it's just funny. Like, and there's tons of spoofs and whatever. But like, what in the in the TV shows? Like, why was all clothing tighter in uh, in the future? <laughs> oh, dude. I mean. That's like that's like that song we were talking just the you know like last week or the week before I was talking about uh, the Nightfly, yeah, you know by Donald Fagan. Yep, it and, was awesome. Oh, dude, it's incredible. That album's absolutely amazing, and they do, uh, you know, what is the freaking song? Is it IGY? It, it, they got yeah, that one international line. geo yeah yeah ge- like geological you know or geographical year or some shit like that. And it's like, you know, they, and Donald's got that one line, you know, there'll be spandex jackets, one for everyone. <laughs> it's like, that's the, like in the 1950s, that was the vision of the future. You know, get your well, ticket to that but, wheel in space while there's time. Think about the fixes. Buck, Buck Rogers was, was first came out in the 20s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. You know, it is kind of interesting, though, when you see this stuff. And I know we've all, or at least geeks like us, you know, think about these things or watch these things on TV. Like about freaking, oh, oh, you know, you know, don't deny. Um, (laughs) You know, like stuff about like UFOs. And and it's interesting when you see this stuff on television, these documentaries um, that aren't necessarily about the UFOs themselves, but the emergence of this whole idea of uh, alien life, um, you know, uh, unidentified flying objects, that type of thing in in popular culture, 
and how that really with uh with the early, with the early advent of 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 modern technology like you say back in the 20s and stuff that these ideas really started to become more prominent especially after like world war 2 all of a sudden there was just this you know across the united states at least this just huge explosion of you know these supposed you know reports of supposed you know ufo's and whatever and there was a time when like that just wasn't i mean before like you say maybe the 1920s that wasn't really a thing no and and you're i think you're you've hit the nail on the head with even now with us like in our generation the big life-changing moment for the planet earth i want to say the advent of the internet is that that's the biggest like light like life-changing for the entire population of of earth oh sure what made the earth a hell of a lot smaller no i know but i'm just saying like i think that might is that our big event like a world event that something changed you know i mean just what do you think it was before that I mean, for our parents' generation. Do you think it was television? No. Oh, God. See, like, and then going to the moon. Well, like, going to the moon. Because, obviously, car, right? Car's one of them. Automobile. And then plane. Plane is another one. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all, like, modes of travel, I guess. No, but but they changed the world. Oh, they did. They did. I just think that it's, it's like the, it's like the, it's, I guess what you could maybe equate the internet, the advent of the internet, you could maybe equate that to uh, the advent of the printing press. Because atomic energy or just was one of them too. Yeah. Like the atom bomb. And then they turned that into like atomic energy and, you know, sure. uh, Cause that's, I mean, that's some sort of transportation too, but I'm just saying. I, like I say, I, I would probably, I, yeah. I, I would probably say that again, I would probably say that for us uh, or for the world, I shouldn't say for us, for the world, the advent of the internet is probably akin to the invention of the printing press in the sense that the printing press by virtue of its design, it, you know, it it provided the means for the, you know, mass, uh, you know, sharing of ideas and information, especially to just common people, you know. I mean, the fact that you could just print a book, that someone didn't have to, like, write a book with a quill or whatever, you know, it was like, your average person say, say something like the Bible, you know, the, the printing press enabled everyday people to be able to have a copy of the Bible and how that was a huge thing. Because before that, it was like the only place that Bibles existed was at church. You didn't have Bibles in your home. You know, it was this sacred text that was kept at the church. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that printing press enabled there. Here's a word for you. The promulgation there's a word for you uh, of, of, of information to the masses and the internet has an effect on the exact same thing. I mean, that and the fact that we all have access to it because I mean, I, and I know that there's these stories about people that don't have access to the internet. I don't know where those people live exactly, but um, right, at, so- at, at least in the United States, uh, but the fact that, you know, we, we have a cell phone that is, has more, you know, has more, uh, you know, thinking power in it than all the technology that they use to get to the freaking moon and you're holding it in the palm of your hand. Yeah. I mean, the so, fact that you can just hold it and look up anything you want. So about, I, you know, I found a, um, a EDU and it, they call it the important events in human history. Hmm. Mm, so how far how far do you want to go back? Important events in human history? Yeah, because we can. We well, can go shoot! Back. I mean, you could go, go to prehistory. You no, know? I know. I mean, yeah, we got. It goes all the way back to two hundred. The invention million, of fire. Sixty-five million. Like it goes back that far. So 
<clears throat> just how far you want to go back? We'll figure something out. Like, okay, uh, five million years ago. Okay, five. So eleven, twelve, ten, ten thousand. Oh, let me see. Oh, five point five million years ago, uh, last common ancestor, unknown last common ancestor, humans and chimpanzees was on the earth. Like that's they didn't know that there was went back that far, but like four million is the first bipedal human ancestor. Really, four million years ago. Yep, bipedalism appears suddenly in the fossil record. But, you know, and that's the thing that's crazy, man, because it's like, you know, when you're talking about that kind of time and then you look at like then you look at what has happened in, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like um, that whole idea of, uh, you know, the nature fix. Yeah. Gozerisms. Yeah, I mean, Babylonians. Right. I mean, (laughs) well, I'm just, I'm just saying that it's like, uh, you know, it's like the nature fix in that, you know, our world has changed so dramatically. I actually just started listening or on my audio book. Have you ever heard of the, have you ever heard of the book on killing? No. Um, It's actually on the commandant's reading list, um, or it used to be. And it's a very interesting book because it's a guy who's a, a former army lieutenant colonel who's also a psychologist and he does this, the book is basically a study about like, well, what is the real nature of people uh, when they're involved in a combat situation? And through his study, what he has found is that the vast, vast majority of people who find themselves engaged in combat situations will either consciously or subconsciously uh, sort of become in that moment, almost like conscientious objectors. Mm. I mean, the vast, the, the, the vast majority of, of, say, rounds that are fired in a combat situation are not even directed towards the enemy. That people have, by, you know, by our nature, this natural aversion to killing other human beings. And even though, even though we're, we're trained and, and all the rest of this stuff, uh, most people, when they find themselves in that situation, will deliberately, you know, shoot into the air or will do something. And it's what he, you know, we talk about uh, fight or flight. And what he does is say, you know, that it's not as simple as just fight or flight, that there's also posturing and submission. And what happens in a lot of combat situations is, uh, you know, people will do things to, to posture you know, you'll make, you'll shoot your gun in the air. You'll do something to, to scare the enemy, but not necessarily kill them. You know, you appear dangerous or whatever. Uh, and he was, he was making this correlation between this whole idea and um, our ideas about sexuality. And he had this really interesting, you know, this point in the book where he was talking about how, you know, if you go back in human history further than maybe the past 150 years, you know, unless you were, unless you were ridiculously rich or something, most people lived in multi-generational families that lived in the same house. And those houses, you were lucky if they were more than one or two rooms. Right. And so you're talking about families who were sharing they were eating, they were living, they were sleeping all in the same room. Um, and so things like sex were just part of life. You know, people back then didn't have these sensibilities about sex the way that we do today. Because once, you know, once the Industrial Revolution occurred and people found themselves in greater numbers able to live in multi-room dwellings, now all of a sudden sex was this thing that had to be like private and it was like something you didn't talk about. It was considered dirty or, you know, what, that it was taboo. Um, but you think about when you talk about 4 million years ago, I mean, this is how people lived for millions of years in families and communal, you know, you know, units, if you will, 
where you didn't have that level of privacy in your life. It was like, dude, you lived amongst the rest of your people or the rest of your community all day, every day. And everybody, you know, everybody knew everything about you. Um, so it's like, it's kind of crazy because, you know, we, we think about the past 100, 150 years and you think about, like you just said a little while ago, from, you know, horse-drawn this to locomotives to cars to airplanes to spaceships. All of, and all of that has happened in the course of like 150 years. Yeah, we've grown a lot. Uh, I'm just looking over this list and I'm like, holy crap, really? Like this, it's it's a very interesting, I'll, I'll send it to you because like uh, the first Christmas celebration was the year 350. Hmm, yeah, yep. Right? On December, of December 25 is Christmas, right? Right. Um, and now we start getting ready for it October 1st. Uh, right. yeah. um, have you see seen Christmas decorations yes <laughs> oh my god I know <gasps> what, are you, what, is your th- what is your thought about, these, about this idea of putting Halloween on like the nearest Saturday to the 31st of October bullshit I think it's bullshit too dude nope. let, uh, let it October be October 31st whatever day it may may happen exactly dude i don't care if it's on a school night you know it's the 31st of october let halloween be halloween man well we should make it safer for the like come on come on i mean dude how long have people been celebrating halloween hell of a hell of a lot longer than christmas i'll tell you that right now (laughs) some form of halloween I mean, the Harvest Festival, you know, that whole idea. I mean, shit, that's been going on since people started growing wheat. Okay, here we go. 1876, telephone. Yeah. Yep. 1878, phonograph. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 79, electric light bulb. Yeah. That's another one, though, man. That's, I mean, you want to talk about another device that has changed the way that people live. What a shitty job it would have been to light all those gas lamps at night in a big oh. city. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, have you ever seen, I was watching a documentary they were talking about, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that it must have been uh, Edison, that, Edison, that uh, maybe it wasn't him. It was the Chicago when the world's fair was in Chicago and this was the first public demonstration on a mass scale of the power of the electric light bulb. And, you know, they had this whole thing set up there and it was this huge thing. All these people, like thousands and thousands of people gathered and they throw the switch and all of a sudden it just lights up. I mean, mean, it's it's that's what I'm saying. That's like this. This is the whole point of this like conversation right, right. now. This global event that something happened yes. that, by the way, it's listed 1995. Internet electronically connects the globe. Yeah. Thanks, Al Gore. Um, Lockbox. <laughs> <laughs> but th- I mean, but think about, but seriously, think about how that, how the invent, uh, the 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 advent of the light bulb, how that has changed the way that we live. I mean, before the light bulb, the vast majority of people in the world, like once it got dark, dude, it wasn't, wasn't long after it got dark, you just went to bed. I mean, you know, spending the money to, you know, have, you know, candles and whatever and the, you know, the, the quality of that light. I mean, people just generally didn't stay up after, you know, very long after dark. And, and your natural cycle I mean, that cycle that people have had since, like you say, the beginning of time where it's like, okay, the sun comes up, you wake up. And generally speaking, when the sun came up, I mean, when it's dawn, you just got up because the sun's up. And when the sun goes down, you go to bed. Now you have, it's like, well, shit, why do I have to go to bed? I mean, my house is lit up. I have all these lights. I can stay up all freaking night. It's like artificial daytime. So here's something that's kind of like, I don't know if it's scary. So, 1850, human population is 1 billion. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
125 years later, it's four billion. So it went up three billion in 125 years. In 25 years, it went up two billion. In 2000, it's it's six billion. Yeah. This one predicts that we'll be at ten billion in 2050, and that by and- 2100, uh, we have to, the solar system is colonized because basically it's the Earth is outnumbered. Basically, like it's so, overpopulated. Yeah, they call it diaspora. But how how are you gonna? I mean. I don't know. That's kind of like, you know, that's like the whole idea of colonizing Mars. I mean, I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? I mean, the people who would be living there are certainly not like normal human beings anymore. I think the first place we colonize is the moon. Well, even that. I mean, the, the just the simple for the lack of gravity. Yeah. Like, what does that do? I think we, we probably could. I think we could simulate gravity. By that time, I think we would have it invented. Where we, we could simulate gravity on, on the moon? I don't know. Uh, I mean, the f- we're holding handheld computers that... No, I know. I, I just don't know how you... I don't know. I mean, unless they have some sort of revolving thing that you're walking on the walls. I mean, that you've, you've seen that, obviously, when you see these depictions of, like, take 2001 A Space Odyssey when they're up there in the freaking Discovery... And the thing is like spinning around, and because of centripetal force, you know, it it simulates gravity in some way. I mean, I could understand that with, you know, the wheel, you know, the, the wheel in space. But on a planet, I'm not sure exactly how you do that. I mean, I'm sure they could figure out something, like you say. I mean, shit, 50 years ago, if somebody told you that every person in the planet was going to have this little electronic device right, attached that's what I'm to their saying. Hip, they'd be like, what? I don't know. You be- wh- Whoever it is that's doing this, you better find out and get your investment in right now. Because just, like just like the folks who, who initially invested in these electronic devices, my God. You know, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine how filthy rich you've That's why be. is it a ridiculous idea to think that, you know, everyone always kind of like Dogecoin and, you know, whatever the other coins, cryptocurrencies are and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, people are invested in them now and they're getting some of them are going off and some of them are. But more and more, the more and more that we go into the future, the less and less we have paper money. Well, yeah. No, I mean that is true, and I mean that's which is also kind of scary. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, when all of your when all of your monetary wealth, I mean your whatever you have, is nothing more than a series of ones and zeros, that could be pretty scary. I mean, all somebody has to just hit a button, and all of a sudden, guess what? It's all gone. You know, and it happens to people every day. I mean, these people who are victims of freaking. You know, these people that are victims of, uh, you know, these scams or whatever, they have, you know, their their identity stolen. And next thing you know, their bank accounts are drained. I mean, that's pretty wild to think that, you you know, that that, that could happen. Somebody just hacks in and says, whoop, you're gone. So what I think is crazy, too, is uh, so Back to the Future, the movie Back to the Future. Because think oh, you, about oh, you mean if you went back uh, thirty five years? It, no, no, no. <laughs> now Back to the Future two, like yes. all those inventions. That oh my god, there. I was watching that just like that was that was on television just recently, and it was like oh my, just the outfits, dude. Well, that's just the, the attire that they wear in these movies. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but but there's some things that were on that movie that came to fruition. The hoverboard, the hoverboard that the people were walking around with personal drones, um, paying money uh, with mobile technology, biometric devices like face scanning. That was all. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, sure. Um, Playing video games that didn't need controllers, video phones. Um, Well, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's like it's like the movie Minority Report. 
you know, you see the movie Minority Report where, like, you walk into the mall and it's like these advertisements based on what you yes. yeah well our phones do that exactly but it's like but it knows just by you know you walk in the room and this thing you know these things can utilize retinal identification you know and be like oh that's jim and all of a sudden be like oh we know what jim likes beard products yes that's what i really don't use beard products i went to i went to a concert the other night and we'll talk about that in a second but uh I go to, I'm standing there, you know, and this girl's like, you have such a nice beard. What do you use? Do you use like oils and stuff? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> sometimes when I have food in my mouth, and it down some, and some, it in. sometimes I use conditioner. <laughs> like other than that, I, it's like washing my hair. Have you seen those, those led lights you can stick in your beard? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, they have like strings of LED lights that you can stick in your beard and like like it's a Christmas tree, but maybe I'll have to do that for Christmas. That's a good idea. Those are my Christmas decorations. Those are my Christmas decorations. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah, so I go to this concert the other night. Oh yeah, gonna... I saw the videos. Dude. Okay, for the folks out there listening to this show. What is the name of that band? Primus? Prim- Prim- uh, yeah, they're named after a car or something, aren't they? Uh, the Prius. Yeah, right. Prius band. Dude, go, I go see Primus. And it's probably the third or fourth time I've seen this band live. Uh, but the, you know, the big reason I wanted to see them was because they were playing the entire album of A Farewell to Kings. And we had talked about it on the show before, but it was no joke, dude. Tim Alexander, the drummer, had the total modern version of Neil Peart's drum kit, a la like 1980. He had the dude, the concert chimes behind the drums, the wind chimes, the whole effing nine yards. It was incredible, dude. I like they played freaking Xanadu. And I'm just like, this song is probably my favorite Rush tune ever. And I'm standing there watching this happen. And there's this dude standing next to me. And at some point, he and I turn and look at each other. We're both just like, I can't believe this is fucking happening. (laughs) You're like, and he tipped his hat just like that. Dude, I'm seriously like, I cannot believe that we are watching Primus play an entire Rush album. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible, man. Abs, and, and it was and it was beautiful because you had the Neil Pert drum set, right? And you had Les Claypool coming out on stage with the old Getty Lee Rickenbacker bass, a la that same time period, wearing the kimono, just like just like Getty used to wear. Back in the day, you know, I don't who sang Les did, did he? How oh, yeah, you? well, I mean, he did, he did pretty. There were some points where he nailed it. I saw these, well, you freaking whatever, but you could tell. I mean, he even said to the audience at one point, he was like, I guess they were getting ready to do, uh, they were getting ready to play closer to the heart, yeah, and say how that's the one I want to know, closer to the heart. Well, and that was the thing he says, uh, right before before the song starts, he's he's talking to the crowd and he's like, you know, so this next tune, this next tune is probably going to need some. Uh, it's probably the most popular tune on this album, uh, you know, and it usually is a fan favorite. There's usually a lot of uh, a lot of crowd participation with it, and he's like, and I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to need some help because this Getty Lee vocal shit is not easy. <laughs> he's like, He's like, I'm doing my best, but and there were parts where, you know, th- there's 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 parts where he's deliberately because he's there's no way that he's going to be able to pull off the get you know the Getty Lee thing that he totally does his like a Les Claypool ism of it, which was cool because it's like, you know, they're not a tribute band. I mean, it's like it's still Primus doing this, um, but yeah, I mean, dude, some of it. 
you know, oh my God, just an incredible show. Absolutely. And it was, and it was awesome because right at the beginning of the show, like their first set was all Primus stuff. And then they took it, there was an intermission. They came back out on stage and they played a farewell to Kings. Uh, you know, and at the beginning of the show, you know, it was, you know, Les is talking to the crowd and he's just like, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you people how good it feels to actually, after 18 months, be able to get up in front of an audience of real human beings and play music. I mean, just to have that experience. Uh, and it was true. I mean, this venue that I saw them in. Oh, my God, man. It used to be called the Cumberland County Civic Center in Portland, Maine. And, I mean, when we got there, and I'm with my buddies, and I'm talking to them, we're just all of us. Because all of us used to go to all of these concerts in that venue. Did your brother go? No, he didn't go. No. Um, but I was like, we were sitting there just listing off the bands that we that we had seen live in this place. I mean, dude. Jane's Addiction, White Snake, Jimmy Page, Leonard Skinner, freaking Joan Jett, Deep Purple, Kiss, uh, freaking dude, the list just goes on and on and on. All of these shows that we spent so much of our time and money going to see. And I'm and all of a sudden I'm like looking around and I'm like, and I'm back in this place. Like, I haven't seen a concert here in probably close to 30 years. Probably one of the last shows that I ever saw there saw live was Metallica on the Black Album tour, and that was probably 1992 that they came this to Portland. In, this is indoor. Yeah, it's a, it's a hockey arena. Um, so there was a Zamboni in that building somewhere. I could smell. Um, it. I know I can smell the Zamboni, but it was wild, dude, and it, it was wild. And I will say. Opening band, New Music Monday, almost Monday, not quite Monday, uh, Black Mountain. Black Mountain. Black Mountain. This was the, the, the opening act on Sunday night. Um, the lead singer, can't remember her name, but she was the lead singer for Pussy Riot. Do you remember Pussy Riot? Yeah. They were the band that played over in Russia and got arrested and the shit yep. kicked out. They got thrown in jail and shit. Yeah. She was the lead singer for that band. Wow. Um, where are they based out of? Oh my God. Where would, I think they were, can, where, I think they were Canadian. So she took asylum in, in Canada. Canada. <laughs> I think they, I think they were Canadian. Um, really interesting i'll share some stuff i'll dig up some stuff uh a cross between um pink floyd a la saucer full of secrets uh probably that mixed with mountain what the band that played Mississippi Queen. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of a weird. Uh, yeah, and uh, and the Pretenders. What? Yeah. Like it was. It was this sort of, you know, that that almost that that almost uh is seven seventies power rock, you know. Yeah, like, is it like, one of those things where they just they're confused about who they want to be? No, 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 no. They just have all of these elements happening at the same time. It's like the you know the there's this element that is this dr like guitar driven, like uh, like wolf mo like wolf mother, yes, okay. sound like that kind of thing mixed with like this keyboard like like a uh, classic synth again. Saucer full of secrets, synth, and a vocal element that is like the Pretenders. It was, okay. it was actually, you know, my, the guys I was with are sort of like, eh, I don't know. And I was like, dude, I think it's actually kind of fucking cool. I mean, it was very original, and it was not so avant-garde that it was just like, what the hell is this? I mean, it was just unique. You know, I thought it was actually pretty cool. Um, so I'll definitely share something. Uh, and they've been around forever. This band is like, we looked it up. With and her? Been 
He's got to be. No, I don't think it, they couldn't have started with her. Um, but the band, the band uh, originally got together back in 2004. I was like, dude, that this band's been around for a hot minute, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it was pretty cool. I thought it, I thought they were pretty cool. So there's my contribution. Music, new music Monday, almost Monday, sometimes Monday. Monday, Monday. Mine uh, started with uh, an interview that Anderson Cooper had with Tony Bennett. Oh, cool. Um, and you know, Tony Bennett is in his nineties, like yeah. on the on the upper side, I think. Um, and he's getting dementia, and Alzheimer's, mm. and so now he's to the point where. Uh, he doesn't really remember a whole lot as far as like having a conversation with you. You have to remind him all that kind of stuff, but the human brain and music. Yeah. As soon as you start to play a song, he's a different, he's the normal person that you would think that he would, he, your memory of him. That's who he is. The person that you've always known. That's right. It's, yeah. And it's one of the things that Anderson Cooper like focused on is like, yeah, it was like, you know, it was kind of like having two interviews. And then when he started singing and he sang to me and it was just like normal person. Yeah. But when once the music stopped, it kind of like a switch happened and he's back to being the 90 something uh, uh, Alzheimer's patient. Right. Yeah. That's Which, so like you say, weird. it really is a testament. It really is a testament to the power of music. I mean, the fact that you, because I mean, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, at least in my experience, and I know everybody's experience is different with this, but, you know, my experience with, uh, you know, being around people who have Alzheimer's, I mean, my father had Alzheimer's and my grandmother had Alzheimer's and God, I really hope I don't ever end up like they did. Um, But you know the people are people who are not familiar with what that is like the way i've often described it is it's sort of like take all of your memories and all of the emotions that are attached to those memories and put them in a blender so you you have no sense of when it is um but when you think it is in that moment, you don't only imagine that it is what it's not, but you associate all of your emotions that, that are related to those memories and those periods of time in your life. Those memories or those emotions are still attached to those things or those periods of time in your experience, uh, which is really freaking crazy, you know, because it's like, yeah. Um, and I, but I could see how with music, because we do much like so many other senses, especially something like the, you know, the sense, your sense of smell or something. But like with music, we automatically associate particular pieces of music with certain periods in our life. Right. And therefore, we also attach emotions to those memories um, and I could see how, you know, various pieces of music that you attach to those memories would bring you back into, you know, that sort of headspace. And if that is true, and I ever end up with Alzheimer's, all they got to do is put on some crazy heavy metal, heavy metal, dude. I'm going to be one interesting old man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my, it, my grandkids are going to be like, you want to see you want to see Papa do something really funny here. Put on it. put on sweating bullets by Megadeth. Watch what <laughs> but his his new album, you know, he did uh, a while back ago. He did a, a duet album with Lady Gaga. Yep. And this is another one, but it's all core uh, Cole Porter songs. Oh, cool. Uh, and and they've actually they they've done a live performance. I mean, it's insane. He's like uh, ninety. He he did like when you got it, you got it. And he yeah. definitely had it. But like, 
great songs, Night and Day, Love for Sale. The name of the album is called Love for Sale. Cool. Um, I've got you under my skin. You know, all the ones that all those crooners made, uh, uh, yeah. made famous. Yep. You know, um, and he does some solo songs, and he does duet songs, and she does the solo songs. So mm-hmm. it was just really cool to watch that uh, that that interview and how um, you know just how the human brain works. You know, I don't think it's a sad thing that this is ha- happening. I mean, it is sad, but y- you know, when my grandmother's in her nineties, she's, right. she's 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of times, like when I'm talking to her, it's, it's kind of like, yep, you know, I've lived a great life. <laughs> like, sure. You know, it's not like it, something going through something de- debilitating, like, like, like Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but when you get to that, you know, I could only hope to do that. And then it's like, yep, all my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids and my kids, you know, there's seven yeah, yeah. generations on, on our, uh, in our family right now That's on amazing. this earth. That is amazing. Like seven generations. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, um, but yeah, so it, it was cool to see that and, and just the hope of like if something happens to to me god forbid or you or whatever right hey just play some music oh no absolutely i mean (laughs) especially snap out of it no 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 and i I mean especially (laughs) as musicians that's the thing you know my, my jennifer jennifer always teases me because i'll be listening to a particular piece of music and i will totally get goosebumps you know, the, the hairs on my arms will stand on end. And I'm just like, dude, listen to that. And she'll be like, you are a freak, man. <laughs> so she's like, look at your arms. Like, I'm like, what? Dude, you don't like. You, you don't feel that? I, you don't feel like you don't. Yeah. You know, my, my, my point just simply being that, you know, my point is, is like. I could see how as musicians later on in life, like you say, if you were to find yourself in that condition, that music really would potentially have that power. I mean, because yeah. I've heard I've heard stories like that before. I've I've heard of, you know, stories of folks who are living in uh like, you know, long term care facilities who who deal with disease and you know, somebody will play a particular piece of music and like you say it almost will like completely snap them out of it yeah they wake up out of it yeah and and you, you know, know like I, have you seen where they're doing those those brain surgeries and they're like oh he's a musician or they're she's a musician have them play their instrument while i'm doing this surgery yes. have you seen those videos yes that is wow what the heck is going it's on it's crazy and yeah. how did they figure that out? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Here, play your ukulele while I got this thing in your brain. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of crazy, uh, so I don't know if you saw in the news, but uh, His Royal Highness David Lee Roth formally retired from the entertainment biz this past week. And uh, so, so my YouTube Thursday, an interview with Joe Rogan. Okay. And Diamond Dave. And yeah, it's, it's about a, It's like a 12 minute, you know, it's an edited video it's with Diamond Dave. Dude, Diamond Dave, I know he's not a young man anymore. Motherfucker's looking rough. Rough. <laughs> like, Dude, miss, missing teeth rough. You're, you're, you're given this meat sack. You know, Ugh. when you're born and you treat it in, in the ways that he's he's lived, oh, you know, God, he's, I mean, I, he's had a good life. Oh, he's he. he well, yeah, he's, he he's, he's lived. He's lived. He's been he's been some miles through that thing. I would I would love to know. I would love to know if he ever and I'm sure that he has like you can't tell me that David Lee Roth has never had has never had a sit down with the with the wizard. You know, he's never had a sit down with a shrink. I'm, I guarantee you he has. 
I would love to know what a psych what it's a psychiatrist's diagnosis of what that man's personality is. Megalomaniac. Oh my god, it's just <laughs> crazy, dude. It's crazy. He is I'm like he has got to be this insanely highly functioning ADD, HD, whatever, like, oh my, it's just, oh, he's so over the top with everything, everything he's talking about, you know, um, but one of the things that he was talking about in this interview that I thought was very interesting, uh, he was talking about how, uh, you know, bands, regardless of who they are, you know, when you, t- you know, band, you know, people get famous and whatever, but the one period in their career that they're the most proud of is the early years when they started working together. Cause he's talking about how, you know, Van Halen for about five years, uh, oh no, for three years, I guess was just playing their ass off all over Southern California like yeah. any time that they had an opportunity to play, they were just playing and playing and playing all the time and cutting their teeth as a, as a, as a, an ensemble. And he's talking about how, you know, he says, you know, if you ever listen to an interview with Paul McCartney, what is the one thing that he almost without fail comes back to Germany, Germany. Yep. He comes back to, the time that the Beatles spent in the red light district in, in, in Amsterdam. Hamburg. Yeah. yeah. And Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that this was where the band and you, and, and when you consider that, that, that they spent five years playing in Germany and just playing and playing and playing all the time. I mean, it, with that in mind, it really is no surprise that they were such a phenomenon when they were finally, when they broke out that they were such a tight band back then. I mean, their vocal harmonies and everything about them, just their whole shtick. I think that's, I think that's the, probably in my opinion, uh, the best compliment you can receive uh, from another musician is, is not about like what you played, like, you know, quarterly or like, you know, scales or what is man, your band sounds really tight. Yeah, to me, I think I, I think that would probably be for me like the biggest compliment. Well, because the only, tight. well, because it's a, because above and beyond anything else, that is the true mark of a well-oiled machine as as a as an ensemble. It's a testament to the amount of time that you have dedicated in rehearsal and performance. I mean, and we, my band, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, I wish, I wish that I could be practicing with these guys, you know, six nights a week. Obviously I do. Um, but there's life too, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's the only way that happens. You don't, you, I mean, even in a rehearsal space, it, it, it doesn't happen the same way. Right. And it's different than bringing in six you know, like hired guns who are individually uh, proficient in all things music. Right. That's that's different. There, we, we've heard bands like that before. Oh, Not yeah. like what we're talking about, though. No, no, no. No, no, no. This is about this is about woodshedding together. Together. Yes, yes. absolutely. I mean, and, and you can and you know it when you see it. Or I hear mean, it. well, right. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, but when you you know, I mean, well, and the thing is, when, I mean, yeah, when you hear, but it's especially in live performance, you know, because you can do anything in a studio. But I mean, in that live performance, you know, you can see them as an act performing and achieving that level, you know, and it just, man, it, it really is. It, it is it is not if you're going to pursue that as a living, especially I mean, you and I have have been, you know socialized musicians for years um you know but to to endeavor to make a career out of it you know uh in in the in the biz as they say man i mean you know as well as anybody it's fucking grueling 
And it's yeah, like, well, you, and here's and you brought up the Beatles. Here's here's a good like just question is about you know they talk about that they had it the Beatles had it and like when John when all three of them I mean even you can say Ringo had his own solo career but it wasn't the same like uh it was a different artistry but it wasn't that like when someone goes off on a you have a a, a band like the Beatles and then they want to do their own thing right like whether it was with wings you know uh, sure the John did his thing with Yoko or the rubber band um, or uh, you know, George Harrison. Yeah. It's just not, is it the same or is it not? No, the same? It's not, it's not because I mean, that's a, that's, I mean, that is, I think that once as an artist, when you've attained that level of stardom and fame, the, the industry is your oyster. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, who's going to say no to John Lennon? I mean, no one said no to Paul McCartney when he played Louis Armstrong's fucking trumpet. That, and that's exactly. <laughs> exactly. No! I mean, the one, probably the greatest moment when somebody should have put their foot down and been like, stop. Nobody <laughs> said stop. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a genius idea. I mean, he's Paul McCartney, you know? But I mean, it's just, it's totally different. It's totally different than you know, uh, when, you, when you're an unknown artist working with other artists towards this, you know, this common goal, you know. Um, so just like I say, pretty interesting interview. Uh, I mean, it's only like, you know, it's, it's edited. It's like 12 minutes long, but um, I'll definitely share it with them. I'll share, I'll share it with the group. I'll share well, it with the class. It, inter- interesting enough, mine is... Uh the group steps ahead mm-hmm. uh michael brecker was in it mike stern yep. uh daryl jones uh the drummers have all rotated but um uh this is uh, t- 2005 mount fuji festival which why that is important to me is prior to that festival michael brecker had uh did a clinic at the band room at the atlantic league band room that, oh wow! That's that cool. I I set up right. Uh, I got to pick them up at the airport and eat dinner with them and do all this other stuff. And he, uh, prior to that festival, he he had he had, he was on tour and he's like, yeah, I'm having back problems, all this other stuff. Um, and then in, in the video, the full set video, you can see him grab his back, right? Oh, yeah. So then, I transfer. Uh, and go to Italy. Yeah, and he found out I was there. And his publicist, like, "Hey, you have free tickets to go see this concert." And it was in Naples, Italy, where I was stationed. I was like, "What?" Oh, I was like, awesome. "How many can I get? How many?" So, like, all the sax players in the ba- in the Navy band were were could go. Right, and I I ate dinner with the band before then. This was a different group. Right. And he talked about it again. It's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm, he may have to pull off this tour because he's hurt and all this stuff. Ended up having um, like leukemia. Oh, he needed a bone marrow transplant. Good lord. Um, and ended up passing that way. But that that's the concert that gives me the goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, on multiple, not because of the plane, not only because of the plane, but just because of the situation. Well, you have a personal connection to it. Yeah. Knowing like, holy shit, this was the start of him figuring out that he has leukemia. Right. Like there's the moments like, yeah, he's like, I just, you know, I can't shake this back injury or whatever's going on. And, you know, yeah. Wow. So every once in a while I'll watch it. Uh, and you know, just like wow, but the plane is amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, it's some of the best plane that I've. You know, a lot of people. Brecker's thing is like, oh, he always plays some of the, like his licks are always the same. And so I was like, okay, then you play them, right? <laughs> <laughs> if there's if it's so mundane, then you you pull that. You off. do it. You do right. it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so the, that's what mine is. I'll, I'll post it on the on the page. No, for sure. For sure. Very, very cool. Well, listen, hey, for the folks who are out there checking out the show, hope you enjoyed the episode. You know, uh, you know we really appreciate you guys checking it out. And, uh, 
you know, we appreciate any feedback that you have. Tell your family, tell your friends. Monday we'll be getting back together. I know we've been doing about once a week and whatever, but, you know, everybody's got a life to live. and We do what we can. You know, we're still hooking and jabbing, slashing and stabbing. And and just a w- real quick shout out to our buddy and listener, Nace Keo. Congratulations. Yes, yes. Congratulations, Nace. Yes. Hurricane baby. I know. Crazy. <laughs> oh, and, and, a, and, a, and a, a, a shout out to uh, another uh, another friend of ours. Uh, great news this week out to uh, to Diane Potts on her selection to uh, chief petty officer. That's right. Yeah, man. I told her. I saw her. She posted something on social media. I said, "The anchors are heavy." <laughs> I guess she's gonna know. Those anchors are heavy. So yeah, no. Congratulations to her and her husband. He apparently also got selected, and that's amazing. Yep. That's gonna be a huge change of life for them. Change of life for them. So, uh, you know, congratulations, Diane, and to you, Brandon. Uh, so, hey, for the folks out there, uh, you know, same time, same station. Tell your family, tell your friends. We'll be talking to you soon. Later. Late.